Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to The Living Church Podcast. As we're looking toward Lambeth 2022, Lord willing, we all know one of the biggest issues on Archbishop Justin's mind, one of the biggest topics we'll be addressing, climate change. So with this in mind, we're working here at the podcast on producing a series of interviews with organizers, artists, scientists, scholars, and pastors to talk about climate urgency, creation, and how protecting and stewarding creation intersects with our various leadership roles and our vocations as Christians. Now, I know that listeners will feel various ways about what we discuss, and our guests may have varying opinions on theological or practical approaches. And though on the podcast we will approach climate change as a given, a state that we are currently living in, we hope to approach it with your concerns and questions in mind. We always want to be thinking creatively, and we always want this podcast to be helpful to you. So as you listen, feel free to email me at ambernoel at livingchurch.org to let me know what's encouraging and equipping you here and what angles I might be missing that you as a leader in the church would find edifying. Today, we're going to hear from the Reverend Dr. Rachel Mash. If you have not heard of her, Rachel is the environmental coordinator of the Anglican Church of Southern Africa. She works with the Green Anglicans Movement, which we'll be discussing today. And she's also the secretary to the Anglican Communion Environmental Network and sits on the steering group of the Season of Creation group. Our conversation today concentrates on how we go from hearing and knowing about climate change to really getting what's going on in our heart space and letting God do work there. And that is not always an easy leap. We'll talk also about how Christians are responding in various ways around the globe to climate change and how a deeper care for creation might be integrated into devotional practices, liturgy, and Christian rites of passage. We also talk about grounding ecological action in scripture. And I pose to Rachel some questions that many of us might be asking, like, when does a minute attention to single-use plastics or planting trees distract from the church's main mission to preach the gospel? 
Well, does it have to? We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Dr. Rachel Mash, thank you so much for being here with us today. Now, we're having a conversation today about primarily the history and the ministry of the Green Anglicans movement. We have an audience who I think, broadly speaking, are very interested in the topic of climate change, of creation, care, and stewardship. Uh, Church leaders who are wondering, how do I process all this information? Things are happening so fast. What do I do and how do I really approach this in a spiritual way, in a way that engages heart change, which is which leads to the most effective kinds of action is when it's it's uh, bound up in a real conviction rather than only fear, although fear can be sometimes a good kick in the pants. But we're people who always want to be acting from a place of grounded and rooted, faith in the purposes of God. And Green Anglicans really does seem to be a movement that is grounded in these things, as well as listening to the urgent um, call uh, of the earth and of politicians and of people around the globe saying, and of scientists saying, hey, we need to do something and we need to make changes now. And climate change also, Rachel, is a big item on the agenda, as you know, for Lambeth 2022. A little bit of background for our audience who might know some of these things. In 2015, Pope Francis also brought this center stage for the Catholic Church with his encyclical on creation and and stewardship and urgency, Laudato Si. Uh, The ecumenical patriarch of the Orthodox Church has an environmental advisor on his staff. And there's a, a great film about Orthodox response to climate crisis called The Face of God. And you can watch that online. And many, many other Christian groups around the world are sitting up and paying attention. But let's stick close to home on this and really think about the Anglican world today. How did you get involved with Green Anglicans? Can you tell us a little bit about your own ministry journey and what brought you here? Thank you. Um, I was working as the HIV coordinator for the Diocese of Cape Town. And my husband, who's a doctor, went over to Canada to the AIDS conference in Toronto. And he came back and he said, there's really bad news coming down the line. And this is going to be worse than AIDS for Africa. And he had watched the debut of The Inconvenient Truth in Toronto. And I said to him, there can be nothing that's worse than AIDS for Africa. We were in the thick of it. And when I saw The Inconvenient Truth, for me, it was a Kairos moment. Because I realized that now I knew I knew that climate change existed and I needed to do something about it. And I could not have my children and my grandchildren looking me in the eye and say, you knew and you did nothing. So that was my personal um, Kairos moment or conversion moment. I mean, I think one of the most important things that we have to do as Christians is to, to join the dots because people see an increase in hurricanes, they see an increase in drought, they see an increase in flooding. And how do they know that's connected to climate change? So so we need to actually draw the, the lines for them and help them to explain the connections between what human beings are doing to this planet 
and what the consequences are in terms of increased hurricanes, flooding, droughts, and the impact of that on the poorest of the poor. And this seems to me to be the mission of Green Anglicans. I'd love to hear more about this mission. It looks like an organization that's primarily about educating churches specifically. So when you say, we need to help people connect the dots, what you mean is, of course, what you all do at Green Anglicans, but also you're equipping churches, local parishes, as well as church leaders to understand the issues and to help their own people address the dots in um, very meaningful ways and in ways that can lead to, um, these are my own words here, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see in your ethos this this gentle yet effective eco-activism. So it's not... um, it's not throwing, you know, if you send an email, the subject line's not going to be in all caps with a lot of emergency and danger emojis. Obviously, there's a lot of danger involved. There's some emergency happening around the globe. But when I look at your website, I see um, you working from the roots uh, in churches and among church leaders to help people understand, to help their understanding and to act with wisdom. Could you tell me a little more about that ethos as well as that mission? So what you all do, but the approach behind it and what you think makes Green Anglicans unique. Okay, so Green Anglicans um, started in Southern Africa as a movement, and we're part of the Global Anglican Communion Environmental Network. So we are a movement of the Anglican Church. And we see caring for creation as what part of our mission. It's the fifth mark of mission. So that's our starting point. And what I always say is, um, former President Nelson Mandela said, if you talk to a person in a language they understand, you talk to their head. If you talk in their mother tongue, you speak to their heart. And I think that's what we need to do because I think often we bombard people with science and we're speaking to their head. And what we need to do is we need to speak to their heart and to their soul. Because primarily climate change and environmental degradation, it is an issue of biodiversity loss and increase of carbon emissions. But the root cause of it is greed and apathy and injustice. And what we need to combat it is a spiritual transformation. And that is what we need to be doing. That is the role of the church. As you're doing that, Rachel, with Green Anglicans, what have you all found that really speaks to hearts and souls? But if your role is speaking to the heart and to the soul in a in a particular way, how have you all done that? What's your strategy? What do you find speaks to people at that level? What is very important is that environmental movements have to be rooted in scripture. Because if you don't change the DNA of the church, if you don't change our spirituality, then we're going to end up with exactly the same church with a recycling bin outside it. So so we need to relook again at scriptures and we need to see what what is the Bible telling us? What is God telling us? 
for us um, in the Anglican Church of Southern Africa, the season of creation has been a very important um, thing that we have done over the last few years. Um, during our liturgical year, we have time when we think about um, God the Son, obviously at Easter and Christmas, God the Spirit at Pentecost. But when do we think about God the Creator? And during the season of creation, we encourage people for a whole month to look at the scriptures, to pray about creation, to lament, and then to act and to say, what actions can we take to make a difference? And I think that's been one of the important things that has begun to, to change the DNA of the church. It is in a sense, I mean, it came first of all from the Orthodox Church and um, and then is, is spread to the World Council of Churches and then was adopted by the Anglican Consultative Council in 29, uh, 2015. And then the Pope has encouraged the Catholic Church to join the season of creation in 2019. So it's a growing, it's a growing movement across the different Christian denominations. I hadn't heard of this season. And is it falling in, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's falling in, ordinary time somewhere? Yeah, so it's the 1st of September, which is the World Day of Prayer for Creation, um, until the 4th of October, which is St. Francis Day. If you go back to the early church, you realize that they spoke of the two books of God. There's the written scripture, and then there's also the book of nature, that God can speak to us through nature. The problem is that we're not listening so we really encourage people to, to, during this month, whether it's having their services outside, whether it's taking the young people on a hike where you spend time on the mountain praying and thinking about God, whether it is going to do a cleanup on the beach, whether it's planting trees, whether it's going to a site of degradation and having prayers of lament, or whether it's being involved in a climate march or going and protesting outside the site of a new um, coal mine. or so, so it's praying and acting for creation. Mm. What I'm hearing is, is it's not this new thing that you're sort of squeezing and squishing into or laying on top of the ancient rhythms and traditions of the church, but it's sort of... Um, teasing open what's already there or even recapturing um, something that Christians have are, have always done and always been interested in uh, since very early on. And uh, even, you know, going back to Jesus' own deep attentiveness, which always reminds me, takes me to the book of Proverbs, his deep and the, and the book of the Psalms, Jesus' own deep attention to nature to animals, plants, landscapes, and scripture and revelation in other ways help to illuminate what we find in nature. Obviously, what we see in nature doesn't interpret itself always, uh, but it certainly is a voice that shouldn't be ignored. That's really beautiful. I'm wondering among our fellow Anglicans around the globe, what do you see, where do you see people finding their own local priorities in addressing climate crisis as Christians and living that out? 
Um, so many exciting things happening. I think if you look at forests, for example, I mean, you've got amazing examples, particularly in the Amazon, of Anglicans who are standing up to protect the Amazon. So the Diocese of Northern Argentina, for instance, they they work with the protectors of the forest. One of the things that you find is very often if there's going to be a meeting, it's going to be in Spanish and it's too far away for the local people to get to. So they will provide translators, make sure that the people from that area are at the meeting and that their voices are able to be heard. On the other side, in Kenya, they've just started an, an enormous project across the churches to do reforestation. And the way they're doing is they're linking it with um, our rites of passage. So you will plant trees when you're for your confirmation, for your baptism, uh, for a funeral. Churches will go out with the young people and plant trees. So it becomes it becomes a whole movement where you're not just planting a tree, you are caring for it. One of the things that we did here was um, to really promote memorial trees because so many people were not able to attend funerals of loved ones. So rather plant a tree in memory of somebody and then that becomes a precious place where you can go and pray um, and you will care for that tree because it's been planted in the memory of, uh, of a loved one. One of the most um, encouraging things we had was here recently. So in Namibia, there's a Canadian oil company which is wanting to come in and do drilling. And the danger is that it's going to pollute the Kavango, the Okavango Delta, which is one of the World Heritage Sites, and also pollute water. And Namibia is one of the driest countries south of the Sahara. So our Bishop of Namibia brought the issue to the Synod of Bishops, the House of Bishops, and all the bishops in Southern Africa wrote a petition and which was then signed by the Canadian bishops and archbishops. And that was taken to the Namibian um, High Consulate and also to the headquarters of Recon Africa. Now, what was fascinating to me is when the story first broke, the um, newspaper, the Namibian, that, were, that broke it, they were threatened with being sued by Recon Africa. So all the other newspapers became silent. Hmm. But then when the bishops signed the petition, the newspapers picked up on that story because they could say Anglican bishops have taken a petition to the consulate of Namibia with no worries. And so actually the voice of the Anglican bishops was quite an important thing on breaking the story. I'm going to pitch some questions to you. I'd love to hear your response for folks who are interested in God's purposes for creation, but they're worried about possibly just jumping too soon on a cultural bandwagon, for example, or forgetting or leaving behind some other foundational callings of the church in order to plant trees or uh, get really, really involved in activism. So Rachel, saving souls is what Christians have been about, among other things, for 2,000 years, right? Our bodies will die. Things will decay. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Jesus said. So 
it, it is our souls that we're to care for most in a way, right? And to care for the salvation journey of others, because one day there's so much that's out of our control and one day we'll be resurrected. And that's, that's the promise that we have. And, and so as this argument might go, the fact is we are not called first and foremost to be activists. How might you respond to this concern? See, I don't think if you look at the history of the church in the last 2,000 years that that's actually true, saving the souls. If you look at the history of the church, it's Matthew 25 lived out. We've been starting hospitals. We've been starting schools. We've been feeding the hungry. The church has fought slavery. The monasteries in the in the dark and middle ages, they 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 kept the hungry fed. They were the places you went to when you were sick. And the challenge of our time is not how can we feed the hungry? The challenge is our time is how can we stop millions of people from becoming hungry? Because the biggest impact of climate change is in terms of food prices from your drought, from your floods, from your ruined crops. And that is the big challenge of our time. And the reality is that what we do in the next 10 years is going to impact on the future of the entire population of this planet. So it's Matthew 25, but big time. And then I went to think about this um, theology of the new heaven and the new earth. So in Greek, there's two words for new. There's kainos and there's neos. Now, kainos is renewed and neos is brand new. So if we take the example of a car, now I'm involved in a terrible smash. So I go to the insurance company and I've got two choices. So the insurance company may say, oh, car is a write-off. We need a brand new car, Neos car. Or the the insurer will say, okay, we need to do a new engine, but we can do some panel beating. Car's going to be okay. It's going to be renewed, upcycled, improved. That word, kainos, is the word the Bible uses for the world. So we do not have a brand new earth. We're not chucking out this one. This world is the one that has to be renewed. So our job is to work with God to renew this earth. When I hear that, I hear a very, I hear a much needed corrective to this idea that what God has made, God chucks out at God's will, which is, which is not actually what the what the biblical witness points to. It's not, that's not Christian hope. But I I want to press a little bit here too, because I have a feeling I might have some listeners who are along with you so far and who say, yes, there is this radical continuity between what we know now and what we will know when all things are renewed. All is renewed. There's this radical continuity between heaven and earth now and the new heavens and the new earth. But if we look at the witness of the resurrection, we also see that there is some radical discontinuity so that this person, Jesus, his own face, his body, his closest friends had a hard time recognizing him after his resurrection. Something was so different, and this difference 
is ascribed to God alone. The the power of the 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 Father uh, in the power of the Spirit resurrecting the Son after the Son's complete resignation and given uh, giving Himself over into the hands of death. And so, what do we do with the witness of the resurrection, which not only says there will be this radical discontinuity, which only God can bring about so that we have this renewed thing that we barely recognize because of what only God can do and not just what we can do, but also it happens after death. How do we deal with that in terms of our earth and our creatureliness? I think, if, I mean, if you, you mentioned um, Jesus and when his uh, friends and followers hardly recognized him. I mean, the interesting thing is how they did recognize him and how he still had the scars on his hands. So that's what I believe. The This earth is going to have scars, but it will be renewed um, and it will be a better place. I mean, if you look at the prophecies of Revelation, you know, when we, we hear about the new heaven and the new earth, and the trees on the side of this beautiful river, they give more fruit. They give fruit 12 times a year. It's an amazing prophecy of what this planet can end up looking like. I think God's got amazing plans for this planet. Now to a practical question that some folks might have. With all the information and all the news coming our way, it can be hard to decide what do I do? And as a church leader, as a as a clergy person, as a lay leader, um, I'm thinking particularly now from my position in the global north, we're caring for the earth. It's really hard to break this out of a consumer model. Like for example, I'm really caring for the earth when I buy dish soap that is eco-friendly, that's totally biodegradable, and that may be completely true. But this dish soap is quite expensive. And when I look around at some of my neighbors and they're caring for their families, they're not making as much as I do, and they are not able to afford the dish soap that I buy and the organic produce and the clothes that I purchase that are guaranteed to not be made, um, that are they're made with eco-friendly processes. If I lived entirely like that within the, this consumerist model, I would go broke in six months. Uh, so how do people in the global North really pay attention to this across socioeconomic lines? What can we, what are things that we can do that, um, break out of this model of it's all about what I buy or don't buy? So I think the starting point is to realize it's not only two levels. It's not the micro and the macro, that there's actually a level in between the two, which is more important. Because um, if individual actions are not enough. I mean, we all focus on trying to stop using a little piece of single-use plastic without realizing that the fossil fuel companies are actually projecting to increase the amount of plastic that they're producing, and they're busy building petrochemical plants to increase the plastic as with the sales of oil are going to drop. So me making my one small action isn't going to make enough difference. What does make a difference is when I move, join a movement. 
So if I take my passion for that dishwasher or that environmental product or plastic use, plastic, and then I join a movement who are all pushing together so I can get my local supermarket to only stock green products or have a plastic-free aisle or do whatever it is I'm pushing for, then I begin to make a difference because then that supermarket and that, that whole chain will change because they will say, this is what the consumers want. And then from that level, you can then take it up one level where you begin to change policies. Now we get a global treaty, which is being discussed by the United Nations on marine plastic. So how does the voice of the church now get involved in that? Can I get my bishop to sign that um, global treaty on, on plastic? So I take my passion for my small actions, but I recognize that is not enough. And, and if we stick with those individual actions, we can feel very good, proud of ourselves. I'm much more you know, eco-friendly than my neighbor because he or she's not doing that. It's not enough. It's not enough. We need to get involved in the movements and we need to then get involved in the political processes to make sure those changes take place. How do you think Christians have a particular witness in this moment? And also, how might Anglican Christians have a even more particular witness among non-Christian neighbors and even among other Christians? What what are we, what could we bring to the table? What excites you when you think about what we could bring to the table? I think one of the very particular gifts of the Anglican communion is it is a global church. So issues of climate change are not issues of st- unknown statistics. They're issues of brothers and sisters in other parts of the communion. I think most of our dioceses do have links with dioceses in other parts of the world. Um, So you can bring those real stories of brothers and sisters, other members of Episcopal churches, Anglican churches who are being impacted by climate change, because that's what makes it real. Um, if, If I share my story of the droughts failed the last seven years, that's my reality. And, and I can use that to challenge people in the parish or in the congregation, um, especially those who say that climate change isn't real because it is a lived reality for many people around this globe. So that's one, one gift that we can have. We've also got um, at the, some of the different processes, like the United Nations processes, um, we do have an Anglican Communion United Nations office. We are accredited for United Nations Environmental Programme. We are now just recently accredited for COP for United Nations in Glasgow. Um, so those, those are places where we do have a place where we can speak in. And then I think as, as Christians, um, the world is hungry for hope. So we have that sense of urgency What we do in the next five to 10 years is incredibly important, but we also know that we are people of hope. So in that social movement where you're fighting climate change or plastic or whatever environmental issue you're involved in, you're also bearing hope because you know that there is a bigger pack, there is a bigger picture. And um, in Romans reminds us that creation is groaning but it's also standing on tiptoe, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. 
And this is the time when the children of God are being revealed. And that is a very hopeful image because creation groans in childbirth. And you groan in childbirth because something new is being born. And I think that is the stage that we are in now. We are groaning. It is really painful, but something better is being born. And as the children of God are standing, creation is waiting for us as we rise up. And I think action brings hope. You know, it's it's when there's a lot of people are very depressed about the future. You hear young people saying they don't want to have children. You hear about eco-anxiety. And I think that is our role for this time, that we can bring hope. And also we will inspire young people to become part of Christianity and part of church because they'll say that we're doing something and this is our calling for this time. Related to what you have just said, one final question. We are called to act out of hope, out of love, and not act out of fear and panic, or for fear and panic to be the energy among us as the church. And some of the most joy and confidence that the church has ever known has been during times of crisis. As I ponder these things, as I lead in this area, what is one way that I can position myself to allow God to transform me and grant me joy and energy here? So not to despair and become like the Reverend Toller from the movie First Reformed. That's bad. Let's not become like that. And not just to um, add one more thing to the checklist, but to be drawn up into this work through love. So I would say two things. The one is to develop your creation spirituality. Find a place in creation which feeds your spirituality, a place where you can pray, where you can just be and really sense the the spirit of God, whether it's for your retreat or on the weekends or on your day off, try and identify that place where, where God will speak to you through creation. And then the second thing is to identify your heartbreak. You know, very often we do stuff because we feel guilty. Uh, There's so many campaigns and we join this and that, and there are so many environmental challenges. And we end up feeling guilty and we end up burning out. But if you identify your personal heartbreak, what is it that when you see your social media feed or you watch the news, which environmental um, pain really is breaking your heart. And it's different for everybody. It may be plastic, it may be climate change, it may be the loss of species, it may be farmed animals. What is breaking your heart is where the Spirit of God is touching you. And if you become involved in that area, and then you find your community, other like-minded people of faith or people without faith, where you can bring the faith um, into that Mm. movement, you will be um, under your anointing. And that is Mm. where you will be able to make a difference. And that's where God will bless what you do. See, Rachel, as a former Pentecostal, I was very happy to hear you say operate under your anointing. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that loud and clear. I hear that loud and clear. Dr. Rachel Mash, thank you so much for being here with me 
today. It's been a joy, a pleasure, and I know that it has been for our audience as well. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for tuning into the Living Church Podcast. See the show notes today for links to the Green Anglicans Movement, the Anglican Communion Environmental Network, the Ecumenical Season of Creation, and giving to the Living Church to support this podcast. Tune in in two weeks when I'll join Dr. Warren Kinghorn to contemplate together how understanding trauma can help us be better pastors, healthier leaders, and more nourishing communities in times of crisis. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.